Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Miami Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here on Tuesday night. It is 7 Central Time, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, and we have a lot of draft talk to get through tonight. We are going to talk about running backs and tight ends a little bit later with Chris Kaufman and throughout the show, as well as we're going to, Paul and I are going to really give a, give everybody a realistic framework of how we expect the top 13 picks in the NFL draft to unfold. So we're going to do a mock draft with those top 13 picks and then elaborate a little bit on the Dolphins pick there at 13. Before we get into it, our, our call-in number is 714-333-3302. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter on the Fin side. So, Paul, let's take a look at a little bit of Dolphins news heading in uh, over the last week. Can you believe it? The Dolphins have brought back the great Daniel Thomas. Your thoughts? Well, you know, it's no wonder they let Lamar Miller go, knowing that Daniel Thomas <laughs> was waiting in the wings to come in and take over some of his carries here in 2016. I mean, in reality, it's right now it's a camp body. Um, who knows? Maybe this guy's been sitting there just working his ass off turning himself into an actual NFL running back going forward. But I just can't imagine with some of the other mediocre options that are out there, they couldn't at least just go, you know what, we're going to pass on this guy, sign a few of the other mediocre options, and go from there um, and not piss off our fan base even further about letting Lamar Miller down. And a big reason that Daniel Thomas was brought brought back, Adam Gase actually, he actually played for Adam Gase um, in Chicago in preseason. Wasn't good enough to make the team. Gase cut him. Um, but, you know, this is probably much ado about nothing. Uh, you know, Daniel Thomas, I expect to be a training camp body. I think if Daniel Thomas is getting carries for the Miami Dolphins, it's a symbol that they have really, really screwed things up at the running back position, if we're not convinced of that already. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Paul. I'm thinking – it, was it worth it to bring the guy back? That it, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Another player that they signed, you know, and this is somebody I'm familiar with, and I'll be honest, a couple of years ago coming out of Cincinnati, he stole the show at the Senior Bowl, was a second-round draft pick for the St. Louis Rams. Running back Isaiah Pede ended up being a second-round pick of the Rams back in 2012. Um, was a free, is a free agent. The Dolphins signed him. Um, and, you know, he's an interesting guy. He was talented coming out of college, but had some problems with the Rams, one of which was he was homesick. Um, you know, I, and I start to think of, man, oh, man, did the Dolphins find the only player out there in free agency more mentally weak than Jonathan Martin? But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Both drafted in the second round in 2012, by the way. Uh, so, you know, Isaiah Pete, I expect to be another training camp body. Maybe he's somebody that the Dolphins hit it big on. Because uh, at one point, if you're a former second-round pick, at least you do have some talent as well. Um, so, Paul, I, I know we're going to talk about running backs a little bit later in the day uh, or a little bit later in the segment. You know, Daniel Thomas, I don't think we expect to make the team. Do you expect either of these running backs to make the team? I think Pete has a slightly better chance, but it's it's going to depend on where the Dolphins go here in the draft. Um, it's going to depend on if they're able to package a, a move, say, for somebody they've got their eye on out there. I know there's been rumors linking the team to Niles Davis. Um, so there's there's a lot of other options if they do. 
I'm not excited about the ground game in, in 2016, even though I do like J.H.I. You know, Niall Davis is a name I've heard as well. Um, and uh, uh, he's fast, and it really was a projected top 15 pick heading into the 2013 or, or heading into the 2012-2013 season out of Arkansas. Didn't have a very good year. Fumbles like crazy. Destroyed the Dolphins. Uh, back in 2014 uh, for 125 plus yards early in the season, but this is somebody who's always struggled. I, I think he's somebody who, to use the, the late Joel Bushbaum's quote, um, uh, looks like Tarzan and plays like Jane. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens on those guys. Uh, they've also signed a very interesting kid. Claimed him off waivers from the Cleveland Browns, Ifo Ekpre Alumo. So we've got Ifo Ekpre Alumo and. Uh, Oh man, uh, I, we just call him uh, uh, IAQ on the show, uh, Abdul Qudis. Uh So we, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of names back there uh, in the secondary. So Ifo Ekbre Alumo, Paul. Uh, this is a player that we actually talked about in the show very briefly in January with Chris Kaufman before you know there there were the injury problems with with Ifo. Uh, someone projected at one point to be a first or second round draft pick, and uh, you know is, is this guy worth bringing in to camp and seeing if he can compete for a spot. I think he is. Um, There's a lot of help the Dolphins need in that secondary. Um, I know you'll you'll probably touch more on this, but there was an article today about Michael Thomas putting out there that the secondary was handcuffed, but there was some stuff with the secondary that I, I saw as ability concerns more so than the handcuffs. And you know what? He's a high upside, low risk player to bring in and, and help them out back there. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, felt so bad for him. Got got hurt in his final college football game, and it went from a first or second round pick to a late seventh round pick of the Browns. And obviously, the Browns don't feel very good about how that knee's going to hold up. But hey, I, I say, no risk, all reward. So, best of luck to him as well. And uh, going yeah, back and to your one, comment, one there, thing I want to add there too is yeah. the Browns are doing some weird stuff trying to go all money ball this off season and. The Browns cutting somebody or letting somebody walk or making a mysterious, ridiculous trade at this point, I won't put that as damning on a player, even though they need talent, because they're making so many moves that are head scratching to agents, players, analysts, everyone outside of that front office. They looks at the mess that they're doing and going, "Wow, that's not even good enough to be so Browns at this point." It's just, what the hell are they doing? So. I mean, yeah, you can't really very easily be a good guy that got away. Can't can't really trust anything the Browns are doing. Uh, And you know, this is somebody that that just like Isaiah Pede and Daniel Thomas. Hey, if he doesn't come in and impress, then he's he's going to be out. Uh, Marquise Gray, the Dolphins also signed at the tight end position as well. Uh, Somebody that's got a little bit of experience in the league has bounced around. Actually, started five games at the Buffalo Bills as a second tight end. Uh, a couple of years ago. So somebody who will also compete for, for a, a spot you would think as the third or fourth tight end on this roster. Um, looking at what Paul was alluding to is Michael Thomas made comments earlier today, raking coil across the coals last year for 
having such a vanilla-style defense. I salute you, Michael Thomas. Uh, the biggest lie that's been told w- in terms of the Miami Dolphins' defense last year is that it was too complicated and it needs to be simplified. That was the biggest joke I've ever heard in my life. You lined up the exact same guys at the exact same spots every single week. It was the easiest defense to figure out. And keep in mind, this is a game that over three full games – um, in 2013 and 2014, Geno Smith had a combined quarterback rating of 101. Geno Smith could figure out your defense, and it wasn't difficult for him. When that happens, you've got major, major problems on defense. Paul, uh, you know, you, you were saying, uh, talking more about ability than um, than scheme. You know, that that was more of the issue. So, what do you make of Michael Thomas's comments today? Well, I, I was more speaking directly to Michael Thomas's play last year, to be honest with you. It, it's, you watch this guy. He, he got himself out of position on a lot of plays. He missed a lot of tackles clear as day. Uh, missed, ran a lot or took a lot of bad angles on plays, et cetera. This is a guy we were all high on going into last year based on the way he had grown the year before, before he got hurt. And let's face it, I mean, I'm glad he came out and said it. But he's a guy with a lot to prove, period, moving forward. <clears throat> and it worries me a little bit when he comes out and says his comfortable position is slot corner. You know, uh, again, I, I applaud Michael Thomas for what he said because I, I th- I, I'm surprised nobody's come out and said something that I've clearly seen on film of how vanilla and how ridiculous the defense was as well. Michael Thomas did not seize that opportunity to be our free safety, but I, I think he is better in that. Uh, when he moves down, he's in that nickel and that dime roll. He's a great special teamer. I, I don't think he played as bad as some of the other players in our secondary, specifically Jamar Taylor and Walt Akins. But the overarching theme in the secondary always tends to be that when you look back at the last couple of years, nobody could develop a defensive back. And my theory is when you have a, a team that does not develop at a position at all, even though you have a lot of youth across the board, it tends to be a coaching problem. So we'll, we'll see a little bit more as these guys evolve into their roles. Another thing we're going to do here, Paul, uh, as we, we start getting our heads really wrapped around the NFL draft, taking place in 23 days, we're going to go ahead and do a very quick mock draft on the first 12 picks and then elaborate a little bit more on the Dolphins' 13th pick. So we're going to switch these off. So, Paul, you're on the clock first. Tennessee Titans, number one overall pick. Who are they taking? Most no-brainer pick of the draft right now. Uh, they got their franchise quarterback last year. They built up their receiving core a little bit this offseason, as well as in the draft last season. Um, they do need some help on defense, but they need to protect their quarterback, as we saw in the Dolphins game that you were at last year. And they're going to take Tunzel here at number one, uh, unless somebody blows them away and takes a pick. But with them picking here at one, they're definitely going after Laramie Tunzel if short of that offensive line. Very, very possible, and this is also one that would force Taylor Lewan to, to flip over to right tackle, giving them a, a pair of bookends for Marcus Mariota uh, over the next 10 years, you would think. Uh, so I, I've got the number two pick, and I'm with you, Paul, first of all. I, I think Tunzel would, will be the guy, number one, if I had to pick. Number two, you know, they did. the Browns did sign Robert Griffin III um, to a two-year contract. I think that you still have to double down at this position. I have them taking Carson Wentz, the quarterback from North Dakota State. You know, if the 
Redskins, or excuse me, the Redskins, the Browns over the next two years can say, hey, look, we've got a player that at one time was, you know, rookie of the year, not but four years ago in RG3, and we've got Carson Wentz. Over the next two years, we're very confident that we're going to have a, a, a starting franchise quarterback. And that's really the only way they're going to be able to turn over uh, – a new leaf and really emerge in the AFC. If you take any of these very good players, the Jalen Ramsey's, the Joey Bosa's uh, and the rest of this draft, yeah, you're going to get a good football player, but is that really going to change things for your organization? I don't think so. I give them Carson Wentz at number two. So number three, Paul, you've got the San Diego chargers. Who are you going with? Well, they went ahead and they, they lost Eric Weddle this off season. Um, they need some help in that secondary specifically at the safety spot one of the, the best players in, in some people's boards is the best player in the draft. Uh, they're going to go Jalen Ramsey here out of Florida state. I think he's going to come in and replace Eric Weddle and, and, and do a damn fine job for their secondary and maybe not make people forget Weddle, but at least shore up that giant hole that he left behind. Absolutely. Uh, it, with the number four pick, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, there, there's some talk. First of all, I'll give you two different explanations. Number one, what I think they should do, and that's take Jared Goff, the quarterback from California. If you feel, if the Dallas Cowboys feel that Jared Goff or Wentz, if he falls to four, can be that franchise quarterback for the next 10 years, you take him. Because, you know, in a worst-case scenario, you, you get him, you sign him to a five-year contract, and then year three, for example, when Romo's, you know, 38 or 39, you let Goff slide right in there. Just like ex-California you know, quarterback Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was there in Green Bay. Uh, from what I've heard, they are going to go away from quarterback, whether you want to believe Jerry Jones or not. But I'm going to go ahead and give them Joey Bosa, the defensive end um, out of Ohio State. Uh, they They were hit. Pretty hard at the defensive end spot. Randy Gregory is going to serve a four-game suspension for a failed drug test. And Greg Hardy, thankfully, they've gotten rid of that piece of garbage. So they're really hurting at that defensive end spot. Joey Bosa is somebody in that 4-3 defense that you can plug and play right away. So, Paul, Jaguars, pick number five. What are you thinking? Pick number five, I think this is a no-brainer once he slides past the Cowboys. Um, a guy I think Jerry Jones is going to agonize over the idea of picking. I know he's coming off an injury, but he's a guy that really is going to look good in that defense that they're building there in Jacksonville. And I think they take Miles Jack off the board and put him in on defense, shore up that linebacking core, but also be able to move him around a little bit as they need to. And they're ecstatic to take Miles Jack here at number five. And that, I tell you, you look at mock drafts, that, that seems to be the popular pick really across the board. You know, the Jaguars have shored up a lot of holes on their team. A left tackle with Kelvin Beecham, a defensive back with Tishon Gibson and Prince of Mukamura, and now you add Miles Jack as well. And they're getting Dante Fowler back, third overall pick last year, who tore his ACL the first day of camp. If he's healthy and Jack is healthy, you legitimately get two top five picks to add to that defense. Jaguars could be scary next year. Number six, I'm going to go there with Baltimore. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give them DeForest Buckner, the defensive end out of Oregon. Um, they've had a lot of hits along their defensive line over the, the last couple of years. Um, Chris Canty is no longer with them. Haloti Nata went to Detroit after Baltimore traded him there. So really stacking up that defensive line with Buckner. And, you know, one thing about him, two things, really big things about him, are his durability and his length. And those two factors really 
go well with that 3-4 defense that, that the Ravens are going to run. So DeForest Buckner is the pick at number six. And, Paul, pick number seven, the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers could go any which direction here because, essentially, they're a team that's in shambles. Uh, and I think the biggest need that they have, because they are probably going to have a top ten pick two years in a row here, is shoring up that quarterback position. Uh, it, it was a joke before this rumored trade to the Broncos seems to be in place, and they need to shore it up now. Um, and I think they go Jared Goff here at number seven and take him right off the board, and the top two quarterbacks are gone. I'll tell you, Paul, we don't agree on a whole heck of a lot, but our first seven picks, I'm pretty sure they're right down the board. Uh, that's, yeah, <laughs> I, I really think we have the, the, the same top seven picks. And, you know, that seems to be a common theme um, over the last several months. I've never seen a draft where from February to this point in April, the board hasn't really changed all that much. And that speaks to the, the talent that's in the top ten and, and how muddy things get after that. So we'll continue on. With well, with before, that, before so you, you know, on here, one thing I do want to say is picks four and five. Um, I don't think they changed the rest of the board up, but I think they could go in either order. And I think if sure. Dallas goes Miles Jack, you're going to see the Jaguars go with um, with uh, Joey Bosa um, first, or DeForest Buckner. But those, actually, really, so those four through six, I'm pretty locked in that those three are going to go there. It's just which order they end up going in as as we move forward. Because I think all three of those guys come off the board for those three teams. It's just a crapshoot which which order they really end up going in. Very well said, and they both fit the schemes too. And actually, Joe Joey Bosa did visit with the Jaguars today. Doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot because so many of these players visit so many teams, but you've got to think he's a consideration if he falls to five and Miles Jack isn't there. Quite, quite interesting. So with the number eight pick, we've got the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is where it starts getting very muddy. Needless to say, this is the pick that they acquired from the Miami Dolphins for the trade for Kiko Alonso uh, and, and cornerback Byron Maxwell. You know, and the Eagles general manager was pretty outspoken saying that there was a big talent drop, you know, outside the top 10. And I hate to say it, but I agree with them. Um, and I think this board is very reflective of that. I'm going to go ahead and give them cornerback Vernon Hargreaves um, out of out of Florida. Cornerback uh, is a big need spot for them. You know, he, Hargreaves is a player that could really go anywhere between that 6 and 15 range. He has an outside possibility of falling to the Dolphins. I don't think he will. And a player I was going to think about giving the Eagles was Ronnie Stanley. But this past my understanding is that they're, if they haven't yet, they're going to come to terms on an agreement with Stefan Wisniewski and play him at guard. So that eliminates the possibility that Stanley plays left tackle and Peter slides to left guard, at least you would think. So, But Ronnie Stanley could be a consideration there as well. But I'm going to go ahead and go with Vernon Hargreaves with the number eight pick to Philadelphia. And, and now we've got our first shocker here, uh, just because I think everybody on the planet pretty much expects the Eagles to go Ezekiel Elliott there at number eight. So the fact that he slid past, I think is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. So looking at Tampa Bay here, uh, they're a little bit in shock. Uh, They were looking at Hargraves uh, here in our mock here. Uh, That being the case, I think we're going to have to go ahead and look at Ronnie Stanley to come in 
and help them out along the offensive line because while they, they, they struggled in a lot of areas last season, they need to keep Jameis Winston upright. And what better way than bringing in Stanley? Right. And when you look at the Bucks too, uh, at that, that right tackle position, they've got Goster Cherilis over there and, and DeMar Dotson coming off a big-time injury. Two players you can't really depend on all that much. And Ronnie Stanley has that ability to play left tackle and play right tackle as well. He moved over to left tackle after Zach Martin went to, to the Dallas Cowboys. So, absolutely, I, I think that's a great value pick there at number nine. And number ten, I'm going to give the Giants Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott, the running back out of Ohio State. Um, one interesting thing is that the Giants last year um, were sitting there with the number nine pick, and they ended up taking offensive tackle from Miami, Eric Flowers. The next pick went Todd Gurley. And you have to think what would have happened with the New York Giants last year if you had Todd Gurley on the same offense with in Odell Beckham with Eli Manning throwing the football. Uh, Rashad Jennings, their running back now, has you know, a productive veteran, but he is 31 years old. You have to think that the arrow is going to be pointing down for him um, moving forward from this point out. So, number 10, I think the, the Giants are elated uh, to get Ezekiel Elliott. So, Paul, we're closing in on the Dolphins pick. Who would you take at number 11? Well, if the Bears are pissed off to see Elliott come off the board here because after losing Matt Forte, they really could use somebody to pair up with Langford. So looking at that, they're going to flip over the defensive side of the ball. And I know that there's a crapshoot on on who a lot of folks consider to be the top defensive tackle in, in this draft. Uh, but they're going to go ahead and look at Jerron Reed as, as the guy to come in out of Alabama and fill the middle of that defense. Absolutely. That you know, and this is when, <laughs> to me, after we get past our top ten, and the top ten have been really across the board what we're seeing out there and what we're hearing out there in mock drafts and and just based on on the science of the board over the last couple of months really hasn't changed all that much. So now we're getting to a point in the NFL draft where it could really be anybody. Gerard Reed is a solid pick for them, Um, can play that defensive line position in a 3-4, whether it's at nose tackle and you want to move Eddie Goldman at defensive end or if you want to have Gerard Reed starting at the end uh, and, and Goldman staying at nose tackle. Either way, you really strengthen your, your, your defensive front there. So we, we get down to pick number 12, and, you know, you could go a lot of different ways, but I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball out there, and it's not going to really affect the Dolphins pick. I'm going to give them defensive tackle Vernon Butler out of Louisiana Tech. Um, this is a player who is projected to go more in the late first round, has incredible physical ability at 6'4", uh, 313 pounds. Um, to me, w- one of the defensive tackles in a crowded group that has the ability to be that interior dominator. Uh, you know, I, I think Jerron Reed is going to be a, a very good run stopper. I think he's a 10-year player in the league. You've also got, you know, the Ashawn Robinsons. Uh, who are there? There are some questions about Sheldon Rankins is six one, two ninety nine. Andrew Billings is also a little um, undersized as well. But I, I think if you put um, Vernon Butler in there at defensive tackle uh, on that same line with with Cameron Jordan, then then I think you've really got something if he plays to his potential. So now here we are with the Miami Dolphins at pick number thirteen. So and this is a really very realistic look. Paul, of how the NFL draft is supposed to go. It's not supposed to be, 
You know, we're not expected to have Ezekiel Elliott there at 13. We're not expected to have Vernon Hargreaves there. Those, there's a bigger p- potential that he is, but it'd be a little bit surprising. So, you know, uh, wh- what are your thoughts, Paul, here at number 13, if the, bo- the board has unfolded the way that it has? Well, I, I think four out of the five players in my head here um, would be defensive side of the ball. Um, there are two possibilities that they could go a corner in William Jackson out of Houston um, or Eli Apple out of Ohio State. Um, I still have this little bit of a man crush on Reggie Ragland. I think he fits well, given the fact that they've got Kiko Alonso, even though it, it kind of puts them on a, a, an interesting playing field with Toa Misi going forward, especially after restructuring. Um <clears throat> The the other guy that I see on defense could possibly be Darren Lee to step in uh, as well. Uh-huh. But the guy on offense that could really throw a wrinkle into this, and, and, and I like Matt Hazel. Uh, we all know that. I like Kenny Stills situationally, even though he doesn't have the consistency. You could see them go out and grab Laquan Treadwell to come in and pair up with um, Jarvis Landry and to pair up with, with uh, I'm blanking on the name here. Devontae. Devontae Parker. Um, and, and really give you that rid, ridiculous top three wide receivers to, to go with Tannehill here moving forward. So he could be that, that black sheep in the, in the race here. But I, I think they're going to go on the defensive side of the ball, and I, I'd still go Ragland. Very interesting. And I'll tell you, there are – you could literally – pick one of 20 players here. I, I'll tell you this right now. If if the board unfolds, Paul, the way that it has right here, I am embarrassed to admit what I would take in a trade down. I mean, you name it, I would take it. Because there are so many players here that I think are good, but it really fall in that same category. You know, are these players that you absolutely need to have? Um, so I'll talk this through a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll go two different ways. What what I would do and what I think the Dolphins will do. And they both involve Clemson players that are not Shaq Lawson. Um, my favorite player in the draft right here at this point is Kevin Dodd, the defensive end out of Clemson. Played one year, uh, excuse me, uh, really burst out on the scene this year. Didn't have a sack before this year at Clemson. But I watched him a lot, and he has natural pass rush moves. Uh, 6'5", 270 pounds. Has the frame to add another 10 to 15 pounds. And in that wide nine defense that, that Jim Washburn uh, is bringing in and implementing along with Vance Joseph, uh, to me this guy is going to be a monster for the Dolphins at defensive end uh, if he plays anything close to what he did this past year with Clemson. Um and when you look at the D, uh, but my thought and what I keep going back to with the Dolphins here at number 13 is the reason that I see it, that the Dolphins went from eight to 13 and didn't really put up too much of a fight with it is they thought, you know what? Um, after the first six or seven players, we're comfortable taking a group of players and we're comfortable specifically taking a cornerback at this spot. And that's a reason to me, my guess is why they left it so blank in the offseason. They said, you know what, we're going to get a cornerback here at 13. We're going to have him opposite Byron Maxwell. We're not going to give up compensatory picks or 5 or $6 million a year for a Casey Hayward or a Patrick Robinson or someone like that. I have them taking Mackenzie Alexander, the cornerback out of Clemson. 
to me, even though he's not the biggest, he's not the strongest, looks very day one ready to me. This is an interesting kid in that if he goes in the first round, he will be the only player in NFL history going in the first round of the draft that did not have an interception in college. And you might be thinking, no interceptions in college. Why would you want this guy? He's not a playmaker. Well, teams avoided him a lot. There was a 33% completion percentage when they targeted Mackenzie Alexander. And in college football, when you spread the field out and you have a cornerback who's being dominant, you tend to shy away from that cornerback. I mean, you think about Jalen Ramsey only had three interceptions at Florida State. You can bet that that quarterbacks had had him firmly in mind as well. Um, So, yeah, you've got Reggie Ragland. I've got Mackenzie Alexander as the pick. I would take Kevin Dodd um, at that 13th pick, but I think I'm going with what I think, and we're going to say Mackenzie Alexander. Paul, uh, it's you're you're speechless over there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a couple of interesting other guys on the board too. You, you've got you've got Eli Apple, the cornerback from Ohio State. Very interesting uh, when it comes to him because. Um, Eli, 6'1", 204 pounds, runs a 4'4", and only 20 years old. Has two full years of college football, has been a playmaker. I look at him, and the more that I watch with him, Paul, I, I feel like there may be a little bit something myth- missing with Eli Apple. So, But you're exactly right what you said before. It could be Eli Apple, could be Will Jackson. I, I, you know, Going back to my point, I think the Dolphins are going cornerback at 13. I, I do as well, possibly, but I, I still wouldn't be surprised. One, one thing a lot of people haven't thought about is Leon Hall is still sitting out there in free agency. So he could be a guy that once his price comes down, comes in, shores up that corner position. There's also the possibility that the Dolphins are high on Lippitt, um, as well as some of the other young guys that are on the team. And uh, so we don't really know exactly what their thoughts are in terms of the players in the, in the secondary currently, as well as Vance Joseph. I can't imagine he's not plugged into Leon Hall. Um, by all reports, they had a very good relationship. The other possibility as well that, that got brought up on our show last week and seems to be exploding on Twitter this weekend um, is what CK brought up in regards to Akeem Kaleeb. Um So that may be a possibility as well. So there's still some veteran possibilities and, like we talked about before, one of the biggest problems that this team has is there's not a linebacker on this roster that doesn't have a question mark sitting next to their name in some form or fashion. And that being the case, I'd be shocked if they don't go linebacker. And they could even trade down um, and still go linebacker here or even get one of the one of the players that each of us mentioned. Um, so It's a possibility. It's yeah, a possibility. I, 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 I tend to, I'd be surprised if they went linebacker at 13 uh, or in a trade down even. And, and I say that because, yeah, I, I think you're right that there is not anybody who's without question, somebody we can depend on. Not, I mean, I, I think they're starting three are okay for this year, but beyond that, they're, they're a mess. I mean, Koamisi, uh, you know, as a two-down linebacker, strong side guy. We, we've we seen what happens when we try to play him at other positions. Um, middle linebacker, you, you've got Kiko Alonso. And outside linebacker, you, you have Jelani Jenkins, which looks pretty good. You have two young players who can cover, but both are free agents after the year, too. So even if they play at a high level, you're going to have to have to worry about that. Um, and, and 
uh, you know, another thing I go back to and why defensive back is so incredibly important for the Dolphins. Number one, the cupboard is so, so bare at that spot. Uh, you know, if you lined up today, you know, you'd still have Jamar Taylor uh, playing one of those cornerback spots. And he's somebody I'd rather have battling for one of those fourth or fifth cornerback spots and, and really trying to prove himself uh, as well. Uh, so uh, to me, third cornerback and maybe even fourth cornerback is extremely uh, is is extremely important to have. And, you know, you're really putting all your eggs in one basket if you're counting on this youth to, to move forward. So, Paul, is there anybody else there? You know, you said, um, you know, as, we're, we're going to get Chris Kaufman on the line uh, just in a couple of minutes here. But, you know, Paul, there, there, there are a couple of – another player that you mentioned why you get CK on the line, um, Dura, uh, Darren Lee, the linebacker from, from Ohio State. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I know CK doesn't have an incredibly high opinion on, on Darren Lee. I actually like him and I would take him over Reggie Ragland because I, I have a strict rule that if – I don't feel that the player is somebody who I feel confidently – um, can get on the field on third down. And I don't think Raglan physically is somebody that I can trust um, to, to be that guy. Then I, I really have to have some, pro- I, I really have some problems with that. Darren Lee ran a four, four, seven, but really is built smaller, kind of in that Jelani Jenkins role. And, you know, Jelani Jenkins, I like, I like a lot, but you do have to ask yourself if you're talking about a Jelani Jenkins type with that number 13 pick, um, would you actually do it? And I, I think that'd still be a little bit high. All goes back into our conversation about how the Dolphins here at 13, if the board goes as we predicted in the top 10 picks, you don't have Hargraves, you don't have Ronnie Stanley, um, you don't have Ezekiel Elliott there. If they're all off the board, if you didn't trade up, I would be trading down till it hurts. But we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see how things are going with that. Join us on Twitter yeah, no. on the Fin side and on um, Facebook as well. What was that, Paul? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It, it's and you know me. I'm always a proponent of the trade down scenario, especially when you start getting into the team picks, because there are always um, four or five different players that are going to be sitting there that you're probably not going to be one-upping yourself to keep. And if you add another draft pick or two or another starter somehow, in addition to to still getting one of your guys here, I think it's a no-brainer move. Um, But, Kat, we do have CK on the line as well. Um, I know we've got a good segment planned with him for tonight. Absolutely. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Are you hearing me all right? Hearing you perfectly. Thanks uh, again for generously uh, donating your time here with us to talk about the NFL draft. Only 23 days away, and you know, I know we talked about the guard position last week. A couple weeks back, we delved into the cornerback spot as well. So now another need position for the Miami Dolphins is that running back position. And I'm not sure if you heard our mock draft before we had Ezekiel Elliott going 10th to the Giants. Some people think he may be a consideration at number eight for the Eagles, maybe even higher than that. Um, So what's your interpretation there, Chris, uh, with Ezekiel Elliott? Do you think if he is there at number 13, that he is the best player available? And would you take him there at 13? I wouldn't necessarily say that he is the best player available. I would have to actually just see who is available before I can make that declaration. But 
Um, I would say that he's a guy that you can count on to come in and play immediately and start and play all three downs. And that's really the draw with him. Um, you look at him, and when you really scroll through the running backs and you watch a bunch of tape on a, on a lot of them, there are only a few that have uh, NFL bodies um, and NFL-style games that you know can come in and play right away and um, and really make that impact and be that three-down guy. And Ezekiel Elliott's really at the top of that list. You look at his body; he's he's built just right. He's got a he's got a thick lower half. He's uh, he's 225 pounds, um, and he uh, he plays with strength. And he plays with uh, with some power. Um, and then what he what he really does that probably draws you as a ball carrier is that he's very decisive. Um, he isn't always making the right decision, and he isn't always showing um, perfect vision. But uh, he is very decisive in what he does. There's not there's not really any hesitation. Um, and then I think what the NFL is probably also drawn to is just the fact that his all-around game is is really impressive for uh, you know a draft prospect uh, in terms of looking at his blocking, looking at his pass catching. Um, just everything is done with such uh, such intention and uh, and purpose, and there's no hesitation. So this is a guy that every coach is going to be looking at and saying, I don't ever need him to come off the field unless he's tired. And to be honest, considering he was kind of a bell cow back for Ohio state, I don't know when he's going to be tired. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's, that's what you're looking at with Ezekiel Elliott. If you need a starter at that position and you need somebody that you can count on there, then he's really, you know, one a, um, he's the, the first guy that you're looking at and maybe even the only guy that you can look at and say for sure that we can get that. Now, all that said, uh, I don't know that he's going to be special at the next level unless it's special because of a combination of usage, you know, high usage, durability, consistency, um, and and his all-around game. You know, one of those – I saw him uh, – or I've seen him compared to a Sean Alexander. I think that's a very smart comparison. Um, and I see, see that's kind of where his pro career could be. Um, you never really are going to come away saying that this is an Adrian Peterson. I think that was some of the draw with a Todd Gurley a year ago is, is you could come away from, from Todd Gurley's games and saying, you know, this, this guy is an Adrian Peterson or this guy is, is that level back. I don't know that on a pure talent basis, basis you would say that about Zeke Elliott. But I do think that when all is said and done, you get through the game and he's got 25 touches and you know 100 some odd yards and he does that consistently throughout the season and you get high usage out of him all three downs blocking pass catching everything all all, all told you're going to look at him and say that that's uh that's a worthwhile that's a worthwhile prospect you know although i'm not a big believer in taking running backs in the first round i i think i've gotten to the point at 13 where if if elliot's there i think he'll be by far the best player available a plug and play guy at a need position can play all three downs and then uh, on rookie contracts at running back and receiver you'd have zeke Devontae parker and jarvis landry 23 years old or younger um having said that i i still wouldn't take him at 13 even though i think 95 percent of dolphins fans would and I know 
a lot of it depends on what's on the board. My, my big thing is I'd ra- I look at this you know group of running backs after Elliott, and I'm like, I'd rather take one of these guys in the third or fourth round instead of Zeke in the first. That doesn't mean I think Zeke's not the best, but uh, you know you could get some value a little bit later on. The clear cut, what seems to be the number two running back in this draft is Derrick Henry, the running back out of Alabama, put up some amazing numbers at the combine, uh, you know, blew a lot of people away. It seems like he's firmly entrenched in that second round area. Do you see him going there and would you take him there? Yeah, I think, uh, in fact, as a matter of fact, I think Derrick Henry could climb and go a little bit higher than, uh, than that. I think that by the time we get around to pick number 42, for instance, he could be off the table. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I do see him as another one of those guys and and listen, let's not, let's not overthink this about Derrick Henry. Um, anybody at any level of football knowledge would watch tape of Alabama or watch games of Alabama and say, who is that guy? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. and that's what that's, there's a reason for that. All right. There's a reason for that. He is talent is uh is off the charts in terms of his size the way he moves um the guy is like frankenstein except he you know he moves like a like a corvette i mean that's 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 what you're looking for that size that speed this is still uh, a game where bigger stronger faster players come in and dominate and uh and so i think that people can kind of play the nuance game and discover the you know, the real reason why Derrick Henry is not, not a great back or is not a great uh, NFL prospect or not a good NFL prospect. And, and I think that you're probably, uh, some of these people get a little bit, a little bit too nuanced. Um, this is a guy that could come in and definitely impact your team. And, you know, he's probably going to make plays for you. He would be, he would look good as a second round pick for sure. I just don't know that he's actually going to make it there. Right. I have, in fact, I was doing a mock draft the other day where you know, things go from between 15 and 42 can get a little bit cloudy. Actually, I had him going 21st to Washington to pair with Matt Jones out there. So it sounds like a, a pick that would make a lot of sense. And if you've got that offensive line and Henry can get into that hole quickly and run downhill, he can le- he can legitimately run away from people at 247 pounds. So that's very, very interesting. And now, Chris, after the, these first two backs – you seem to have not much separating, at least on a lot of boards, the third pick or the third running back from the eighth running back. Uh, how do you see that shaping out? Uh, what's your take on the rest of this running back class after the first two? Well, I think that once you get past the problem is that it's it's when you get beyond the NFL the NFL bodies, um, the two guys that you can look at and immediately say that this isn't just, you know, an average size back. This isn't, this isn't a smallish back. This is in, uh, in Zeke Elliott, you have a good size NFL back, good size, good NFL tangibles. And then at Derrick Henry, of course, you've got, you know, the, at the far end of the spectrum, as far as NFL size and uh, tangibles go that once you get beyond that, that's, that's the reason why they're a little bit jumbled. I don't think it's that jumbled to me because I think that Devontae Booker really does stand out among the group. Um, he's the player from Utah, and he reminds me a lot of Marshall Falk 
Uh, I think he's got a lot of strength, even though he's only 219 pounds. And that's the, let's not let's not say that that's small. That's um, that's probably average-ish in the NFL. Uh, even though he's only 219 pounds, I think he's got a lot of strength. You saw that in his upper body strength and his uh, his bench press. He bench pressed as much as Derrick Henry did. Um, and I think that you see it on tape as well. He's a fall forward kind of guy keeps his legs churning and he's got that ability to make people miss in the semi open spaces, um, you know, kind of in the middle of the field. And that's uh that's a really, it's, it's a top of the line ability. It's not just, it's not just good. He actually has top line ability there. Um, he also is a fantastic pass catcher. Uh, he really get, gets out with his hands and plucks the ball and gets it in and turned around and bursting out of his uh, out of his catch, all in one very quick fluid motion. Uh, he can catch off-target passes. Uh, he, he reminds me, like I said, he reminds me of Marshall Falk. Um, this is a guy that I think that you could take in the second round and and be fine with. It. Absolutely. Um, now some downsides to him. Uh, you know, he he should be rated about as good as you can rate a player who is about average NFL tangibles, uh, average NFL size, average uh, NFL speed for the, for the position, uh, and that isn't really a great blocker. He can block, and he's got a surprising anchor ability, even when he isn't going out and attacking uh, his target um, because he does have that strength, but he doesn't really know how to block, and I think he's also got, a little, got to have a little bit more want to. Uh, as far as his blocking is concerned. And also, he doesn't expend a lot of energy when the play is going away from him. And he knows that the player is going away from him. But this is a very, very decisive player um, that has excellent, excellent vision from the backfield, early vision, vision to see problems and get out of them. And I think that he's he's clear number three, if not even you know number two. In the in the draft, I, I put him right up there with some of the other guys. You just got to make sure that medically he checks out and that he's healthy. So, Chris, if I can draw a line in the sand in terms of Devonte Booker, uh, let's say at number thirteen, and I know I know it depends who's on the board. Let's say that the usual suspects are off the board that you expect, and Zeke is the best player available there at thirteen. Would you? hypothetically be more comfortable taking Booker in the second round or Zeke in the first round? Oh, I don't know. Um, I would say that, you know, there, there's a, there's a definite, it's, it's an even question because even though I love Devonte Booker, I'm not going to pretend that he's up there with Ezekiel Elliott because Ezekiel Elliott is basically Devonte Booker with, you know, 10 pounds of, 10 more pounds of well-filled-out frame. Um, he is Devontae Booker, except as an extremely, extremely good blocker. Um, you know, he's Devontae Booker with all these these extra things that actually make him more reliable and make him better. So, you know, you could coin flip that one um, between going with Zeke Elliott at the, at the 13 or going with Devontae Booker a little bit later. What I will say is just generally speaking, um, I like to find backs uh, that are good values later on in the draft in the mid rounds or the late rounds. It's just something that I like to do. Um, and I think that it can be done. I think it's, 
part of the part of the allure of that is knowing that every draft you're going to have undrafted free agents or late round guys, day three guys that come in and and make impacts at that position. And since it's already a two man position, you know you're not looking you're not necessarily looking to find the next Adrian Peterson in the seventh round. You're looking to find a guy that can be you know one part of your one two punch. And that's very doable when when you're looking at guys in the the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, or even undrafted. So my you know my preference, I'm I'm usually going to try and and hit it with numbers and um, and go with some later guys because I, I I would like to find value there. And there are some guys I like there. Me too. And you know people are quick to point out that hey, look at the top three rushers in the NFL last year: AP, Doug Martin, Todd Gurley, but. You go a little bit further down that list, and you see in the top ten guys like Chris Ivory undrafted, Latavius Murray was a sixth-rounder, Devontae Freeman, fourth-rounder. Uh, heck, Thomas Rawls, if he plays an entire season with the Seahawks, is probably going to be a big-time star, too. So there is value to be found as well. Yeah, absolutely. So when you when you look at this, we've talked about Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, and Devontae Booker, and then things, you know, get a little bit cloudy at the running back spot. you got Kenneth Dixon from Louisiana Tech, Alex Collins from Arkansas, Paul Perkins from UCLA, Jordan Howard from Indiana, C.J. Procise from Notre Dame. It's kind of like pick your flavor at those spots. Uh, what do you make out of the rest of the list? Well, I think that Alex Collins, first off, what you're talking about, and I would put him pretty high up the list. I've watched him since high school. Um this is a guy that uh, that has stood out even back going back to high school. For not only does he have that kind of NFL, uh, I guess it, it comes out about average NFL body um, when now that you're this far into it. But coming out of high school, he had that that NFL uh, or those NFL tangibles. But not only does he have that, but he had this great vision coming out of high school, and I've just seen that continually uh in uh at arkansas uh since his first year there and it, it's been it's been nonstop. this is a player that might have the best instincts and the best vision of all of the backs in the draft um now the the downside to him is that when you get right down to it you look at his testing numbers and stuff like that uh the speed and the 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 jump metrics and and those kinds of things and he was really kind of very average there um, but that's, you know, that's not the kind of back that he is. He's not the back that's, uh, that's wowing you with his pure physical ability. He's got physical ability. He's got NFL physical ability, but his vision is just absolutely tremendous. The, the speed with which he sees, uh, he sees threats from the backfield and can adjust. And he's already adjusting before he's even taking the handoff. Um, and he does that. He shows that throughout the run at every stage of the run he shows that kind of vision uh that's what really stands out with him a guy that has that kind of vision you kind of imagine that he's going to find his way into one of those zone schemes and uh where you're reading you're reading the linebackers um and and you're doing that you know very often and he could be one of those guys that just uh just takes off and is super productive in, in one of those teams um, you look at some other guys down there. I guess a guy that you didn't name that stands out a whole lot, and uh, he gives me a lot of a lot of Lamar Miller actually uh, vibes. 
um, and that would be uh, California Daniel Blasco. Uh, this is a guy, tremendous physical athlete. I mean, he's, he's only 209 pounds, which, uh, I guess Lamar Miller was just a little bit heavier than that coming out, but you know, Lasco has got that four, three to four, four speed. He, uh, he 11 foot broad jump, which is ludicrous. Um, you know, I think a, like a, maybe a 40 inch vertical. And the, the point is that you see all this on tape and what you see on tape, just like you did with Lamar Miller really is. That speed, that explosiveness, that um, that agility, acceleration, burst, all of that creates a player that's actually pretty hard to get down, not because he's this big 247-pound monster, you know, RoboCop in a, in a football uniform. It's because he's just that fast and hard to get a clean shot at. And that's what Lamar Miller had. And Lamar Miller, the, also, the other thing that Lamar Miller had is the speed to really press a hole and turn probably average blocking into good blocking because of how much he can press the hole with his speed. And that's what I see with Lasco as well. Um, he just hasn't been a bell cow, but, you know, that's that was part of the question about Lamar Miller as well. In fact, we still have that question because Miami underused him so much. Um, you know, so so that's, that's one guy that I would look at in the later rounds. And then one, I'll give you one more. Late round so guy. C- C- that, CK, uh, before that you move on from 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 that, I just sure, want to go sure back to Collins for a quick second. Um, one of the things mm-hmm. I noted in looking at Collins was something you actually mentioned as well with Devontae Booker. I mean, he he obviously has the great field vision, the great lateral agility, you name it. But when the play wasn't designed to go to him, I noticed there were a lot of times where he doesn't sell the play. He doesn't run his route as hard and just kind of drifts over to the side and just kind of watches things. Um, is that something you noted with him too, or is that something that you see a little differently with him? No, I, I, I'm, I, it's not something that I really flagged, um, but um, it's, it's there. The, the reason that I wouldn't necessarily flag it the way some people do is because I think it's very common. The running back position is a high energy position. Um, it's high energy expenditure. Uh, these, these guys wear down quickly. They, um, they, they have to come out of the game often. And so you have, you have some guys that, you know, just don't expend energy when, when they know that the play is not going their way or that they're not, they're not integral in the play. Uh, that's what makes it all the more interesting when you find guys that are different, um, that, are, that are more than that. Like going back to Daniel Lasco, for instance, He's an extremely high energy, high enthusiasm player on every snap, uh, in every role that he that he's doing or that he has. Um, and it's just uncommon to find that. It's uncommon to find, and Ezekiel Elliott has the same thing. Uh, it's a little bit more uncommon to find that than it is uh, a, a big flag when you see an Alex Collins um, not quite sell something. 100% or uh, when you see Devontae Booker do it. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that I'm concerned about it, but, you know, obviously it's not going to be something that impresses me either. So Daniel Lasco, as well as a player that I, I've talked about on the show, uh, somebody I'd like in the fifth or sixth round, or, I've, I've said actually a bigger Danny Woodhead where he, he has, there's no wasted motion in anything that he's doing. And I think there, it brings up another point where, you know, the Dolphins have an extra seventh rounder, you know, you think big whoop-de-doo, but 
there could be a potential for the Dolphins if they don't go running back in the first two rounds, which a lot of people anticipate, that you get to, maybe you can double down on that position. Maybe you can get a third and a sixth rounder. Maybe you can come away with, um, say, for example, an Alex Collins in the third and maybe a Daniel Asco in the fifth or sixth. That would be tremendous value at that spot. You double down and do something you'd like, too. I know, know that you would like uh, get Damian Williams off the team by doubling down and getting that third running back. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And, and actually you just brought up the point because um, I think that if you were to talk to Adam Gase, and in fact, the, the press did talk to Adam Gase at the owner's meetings. And, and what did he say? What did he say about the running back position? Uh, he basically named Jay Ajayi and that's it. <laughs> he said, we have Jay Ajayi. And then there was kind of, you know, Dot, 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 you know, and yeah. that's it. Um, and, and so he, that, tells you, that tells you what he's thinking. And I know that this is a guy – first off, I, I know for a fact that Adam Gase really wants another significant back. I mean, I know that he wanted Lamar Miller back. Um, I know he told them – he gave them the green light to, to get him back. The front office didn't really make it happen. Um and then, uh, you know, they went after C.J. Anderson in large part on his behalf. Uh, and they couldn't make that happen either because the offer sheet wasn't enough for even Denver to, to you know, forego. And their, their salary cap situation is an absolute bloody horror. And, uh, and they still match that, that offer sheet. So, um, so right now they're failing Adam Gase a little bit on the running back front. And I think he's probably letting them know it. So they – they know they need a significant back, and they probably don't just need one because, you know, Jay Ajayi is the only guy he'll even name uh, as, as what they have at the position or just about. I mean, he'll, he'll toss in a little mention, but you can tell that he, it's not really uh, – the other guys aren't really, aren't really much to him. So they, they could definitely use two guys. And, and one guy that I want to bring up, uh, a late-round guy um, – you know, to what you were saying with uh, an extra seventh round pick is look at Dwayne Washington uh, over in Washington. Um, and uh, this hmm. is a guy that's a six foot one, 225, 226 pound guy. And I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize because he hasn't run in his pro day yet. I don't know if he's not healthy or not, but he is a guy with tremendous, tremendous speed and physical ability. I don't know exactly where he's going to tape but or where he's going to measure and, and perform and, and all that stuff, but I do know it's going to be very good. Um, and he has all the tangibles, I think, that David Johnson did a year ago and is probably even a better runner than David Johnson is. And, Hold on a second. Sorry, uh, Paul yeah, clearly it, ordering it, pizza. It, um, anyway. Uh, technical <laughs> malfunction. Uh, no, no uh, the he has. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm are here. There, yes, we're okay, here. Sorry about that. Um, no, no, sorry. I was just going to say that he has all he has all the physical tangibles of David Johnson, uh, and then he's probably even an even more instinctive runner than Johnson was uh, a year ago. But the only thing that he doesn't really have is David Johnson practically had wide receiver skills. Um, so I think that he's a guy that you could look at in the seventh round and you're looking at him. He's just hard to bring down. You know, Scooby Wright is going after him in the backfield, has him dead to rights, makes a fantastic read. 
And, you know, the guy just puts him on the turf because with a stiff arm just because, hey, I'm a bigger, you know, I'm a big, fast, physical dynamo, and you're not. And that's, uh, that's what you're looking at. So I, I think Dwayne Washington would be a good guy to look at in the very late rounds. You know, again, we go back to there are really two tiers of running backs that you could potentially take. I'd love to double down because if you can get a running back in the sixth round, you may be looking at uh, a pretty good player. I mean, Dwayne Washington you mentioned. uh, Paul's brought up Devin Johnson from Marshall here over the last couple weeks. You've got Fred Taylor's son, Kelvin Taylor, uh, not the greatest athlete, but coming out of Florida, Daniel Lasco, you never know, could be there in the fifth or sixth round. So when you look at what you typically get in the sixth round, if you can double down there at a position that tends to represent great value in the late rounds and undrafted free agent class, uh, I, I do think it is ad- advantageous to take that risk right there because it really isn't a risk. Um, so looking at you know the running back position is a big need. Moving along, uh, you know, the tight end spot is not uh, really not a big need this year. You've got, you know, bringing Jordan Cameron back. Deion Sims is, you know, we're still playing the potential card with him. Jake Stoneburner is our third tight end. There could be the ability to add another tight end here in the mid to late rounds uh, for the Miami Dolphins if they plan on, you know, having a succession plan with with that tight end spot with what they have now. Uh, You know, just so we can checkmark the box here, Chris, uh, anybody jump out at you as somebody you think the Dolphins should consider really in any round? Well, I think that the the guy that I've – well, two guys that I've really enjoyed watching the most um, would be uh, Stanford's Austin Hooper. Uh, I think I kind of think of him as the top tight end in the, in the draft. Um, I think he comes from a good program of tight ends. I think he, he came. He looks a lot on tape like like a Stanford guy. He's very polished, especially in the blocking area. But really, it was his pass catching and his athleticism and his ability out over the middle of the field that caught my eye first about him. I think that he's underrated. Um, and then the other guy that I've well, he's not underrated anymore, but so I can't talk about him as a as a diamond in the rough. Is uh, Tyler Higby uh, from Western Kentucky? Uh, whenever I have watched him play, I have always seen uh, another um, uh, what's his uh, what's the Dallas Cowboys Jason Witten. Uh, yeah. I've always seen a Jason Witten with him, and I think that that's uh, that's borne out on tape. Um, and I, I think that he would be a tremendous value. Uh, wherever you can get him, as long as it's not, say, the first round or uh, something along those lines. But, um, but yeah, if you wanted, if you wanted to take a crack at either of those guys, uh, anytime after the first round or, or so, then you're not going to get much of an argument for me. Yeah, and CK, I'm with you on those two guys. One, one other guy I would actually throw into that mix as well. Uh, a guy I liked watching uh, was was Nick Manette. Uh, I think he's a guy that can step in and be explosive in short area and, and moves around a lot in that offense. So you could do a couple of dynamic things and still fill a role, even with Deion Sims and Jordan Cameron on the team. But he may not break away from a lot of folks, but he can still do a lot of explosive stuff in short areas. Yeah, I think that uh, I think he's a, he's a good name, but he's not a guy that I would be particularly interested in until the third day. You know, and looking at Vinette, too, he is a guy that could be, you know, because of coming out of Ohio State, maybe a plug-and-play type tight end if he can get in the fifth and sixth round as well. But I I do start to ask, when you look at the 
limited athleticism, is this somebody that is going to be better than even a former Ohio State player, Jake Stoneburner, at that spot? So if you're looking for a, you know, a, a tight end that maybe can soften the blow after this year, if you get rid of Jordan Cameron and you give up on Deion Sims, then maybe that could be a possibility. Uh, I really like Austin Hooper. I actually like him more as a prospect than I did Kobe Fleener when he came out of Stanford. Uh, Fleener, I thought, had more speed, but it was more straight-line speed, um, where Hooper has a lot more bendiness to him. He can run more routes. He's a smart player. Yeah, uh, You can look at a player out there sometimes and think that he just gets it when he's out there, and, and I think Hooper's one of those guys. I would take him over Hunter Henry from Arkansas and Jarrell Adams from South Carolina, which some people – tend to have a little bit higher on that list. So, you know, tight end's a position that I think the Dolphins could possibly consider in the mid to late rounds, but I could also see them not drafting one as well. So we, we've checkmarked that off uh, off the list here, Chris. Uh, you know, we've got, gosh, uh, really two shows left before the NFL draft on uh, April 28th. Is there anything you'd like to get off your chest tonight? Uh, no, I, I, not not particularly. I mean, just continuing along the tight ends, though, um, I would say that a guy that you, you should probably take a look at uh, would be Devin Kajust from Stanford as well. Um, and the reason, you know, he's not been a tight end. That's not his experience. Um, and so you, you have to wonder about that. But he is built like a tight end. I think he's like 235 pounds and and uh, what is he, six foot five, six foot four, some, somewhere six, around there? Six four, two thirty four. Yeah, six four, two thirty four. And he runs. Uh, it wasn't not the combine, but he went circled back in his pro day and had had some pretty incredible times. And that's what you see on tape. You see that you see that athleticism. I mean, what you're basically looking at is another Jordan Cameron type. Um, and he has the ability. He has the core ability end up a really really good pass catcher uh he's got good pass catching skills and what do you you know he he has that reliability to him kind of that savvy and route running like wide receiver savvy just a guy that coaches would look at and say hey i can depend on this guy um you know i've always looked at him and saw him as kind of a kind of a uh, poor man's mike evans a really really poor man's mike evans because i was a i was a huge mike evans fan but um, uh-huh. you know, I think that because he's a poor man's Mike Evans, you're not going to use him at uh, wide receiver. You're going to move him over to tight end, and and that could actually be pretty compelling. So he might be worth he might be worth a shot way down the line. So CK, before we let you go here, one thing I have to ask you about something you kind of hinted at last week on the show, uh, kind of exploded a little bit out there on Twitter over the weekend. Uh, a key to leave. We'll, can you expand a little more from last week on your thinking around that and, and what anything that you're hearing out there? Well, I think that last week what I – I think you asked me whether this is something that this is uh, – that, that I'm hearing that they're working on or whether this is something that I'm just kind of guessing at. Um, and I said that it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, and that's, that's yep. what it is. Um, there, so – I the the core of this is that I know that the Denver Broncos and Miami Dolphins have discussed a keep to leave with one another. Uh, so there's that. I know that I know that for a fact. Um, but 
the problem is that a lot of people don't realize that these teams discuss a lot of players with one another over the course of doing business. And so it's not necessarily as much of a, of a reveal as, as some people would make of it. What I will say is that the Dolphins need a corner. They need a starting corner. I know that they like Aqib Tlaib. Um, and I also know that the Denver Broncos are in a really bad way about the salary cap right now if it is true that they want to acquire Colin Kaepernick. Because even if they dump Ryan Clady, if they just cut him the same time that they acquire Colin Kaepernick, then they're $2 million short of getting league approval for the trade. You know, they're, they'll be over the, over the salary cap and Interesting. they'll be busted. So they, they still need another $2 million, even if they were to cut Ryan Clady. And so where are you going to get that? Well, you could get that immediately by cutting the punter, you know, Britton Colquitt. Um, but, uh, but then you gotta, you know, you gotta replace him uh, possibly in the draft. And then you gotta sign draft picks and you're going to need a couple million dollars to sign draft picks. You're going to need a million more dollars for cushion for in-season emergencies. They don't have money and they don't have very many places to get it. And one of the most obvious places to get it would be trading Aqib Tlaib. And he has an $8.5 million salary. It is fully guaranteed. They can't cut him. They can't cut him because it's fully guaranteed salary. But they can trade him. And I think that through the course of the investigations over C.J. Anderson, you know, when you make an offer sheet, or when you sign a guy to an offer sheet and you're designing that offer, you really model out the other team's salary cap, every possibility, and you, you become an expert on their salary cap because you're trying to formulate a contract offer that they won't match or can't match. And so the Dolphins have done this. They know their salary cap situation. They know that if they go ahead and match the offer on C.J. Anderson, then they're going to have to give something up elsewhere. And that something might be a key to leave. And so they might be in a little bit of a stare down with Denver thinking you might have to get rid of this guy unless you want to deal with butt fumble as your quarterback for the year. And, uh, <laughs> and so that's what, um, and so that's, that's kind of where I think that, that we're at right now. I think that the Denver Broncos, even if they go ahead and, and cut Ryan Clady are going to be in a very hard way about the salary cap, trying to get Colin Kaepernick and trying to, uh, to get uh, their draft pick signed and have a little bit of extra room uh, in, in case of emergencies during the season. So um, to leave would be the easiest way to get the money that they need to get uh, to operate and to get everybody, everybody in shape. And, and they got to, you know, they got to sign Von Miller to, to a new contract and his salary cap or, you know, his cap number is not going to go down. It's going to go up. Uh, he's only making about 14 million to only oh, making about $14 million <laughs> this year, but he's, but he's uh, he's going to average you know he's going to average something like twenty million dollars he's going to average whatever Indomitian Sue is averaging uh, when he gets his new contract so I, they they really need money and um, and Aqib Talib is the the easiest source of it aside from Ryan Clady that's where that's where that comes from and aside from the fact that I know that they have actually discussed Aqib Talib with one another and I know that Miami likes him. And if, when you look at the Broncos' depth chart as well, Tlaib is a player that they can afford to trade uh, when you look look at who they have behind them. Chris Harris, they're pumping a lot of money into. And then you've got Bradley Roby, 
you know, he's been a little bit inconsistent at that other cornerback spot, but can definitely at least physically hold up to the task, was a first-round pick a couple years ago. Uh, Kevion Webster is their third guy, a player that we've discussed on this show, too, and Lorenzo Doss they drafted in the fifth round last year. So they do have some depth at that cornerback spot. Um, so if you've got to ax somebody and you've really got to free up some money, uh, Tlaib may be that guy, not just specifically for the cornerback spot, but they've also got – Defensive end, they lose Malik Jackson. They have to find a, a, a replacement there. Inside linebacker, you lose Danny Trevathan. You've got uh, career backups, Corey Nelson and Todd Davis, battling for those two spots. The guard position's a mess. So, yeah, that that could be something worth keeping an eye on. But, you know, again, like Paul said, it was something you touched on last week. We wanted to, to talk about that in a little bit more detail. But one thing is clear, the Dolphins do need a cornerback uh, opposite Byron Maxwell. I'd argue they need two or three. And uh, one thing I'll add to that is I've spoken to two local Denver guys. um, And what I'll say is that both of them have expressed to me, and and these are guys that are connected within the Broncos. So they talk to people inside the Broncos organization. And both of them have expressed to me that, you know, Aqib Tlaib is a little bit of a, is still a little bit of a problem. um, From a a logical standpoint. Yeah. I mean, and, and I know that, that's, that shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, but it's really it, it's it's an ongoing thing. It's not something that he's necessarily grown out of. Um, and so when you talk to these people about Aqib Tlaib, they're like, yeah, yeah, they might they might get rid of him. I mean, they're kind of tired of his attitude. Those are the exact words that somebody somebody said to me that um, that they keep hearing from inside the organ. They're tired of his attitude. So you know. This is this is a real possibility. It's just something to, something to keep an eye on. I will say that I like the guy that they that the Dolphins claim today, Ipo Ekpreolomo uh, from uh, Oregon. I, I wish him well. I, he was one of my favorite players in the draft, and and uh, I hope he comes back fully healthy and um, and and that works out because he's a he's a fantastic player. And CK, one thing I just want to add real quick um, in regards to Akeem Tlaib and, and the. Rumors that he is still a problem, because we'll call him that. Uh, Vance Joseph does have a bit of a history of getting the most out of players that, that it's rumored that there are some internal problems with in guys like Pac-Man Jones, et cetera, up there in Cincinnati. So this could be a very ideal situation for a player like Tapatoli uh, with, with Joseph manning the uh, defense now. Sure. And I think uh, Adam Gase was there when Tlaib was there, right? Um so they might have they might yep. have a relationship. Yeah, I I really hope that when he comes here, he doesn't shoot people. That would really help uh, keep him on That'd the field. Be a plus. Uh, <laughs> That'd be a plus. That was a cheap. That was a cheap shot. Yeah. I, I, if it's one thing I don't <laughs> like, it's it's people who shoot other people. Um, anyway, yeah. we'll end on that note. Uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your your knowledge here tonight, uh, as well with the NFL draft. And we'll touch on a couple more positions next week if you're available. Uh, so uh, you have a good evening, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll touch base next week. All right. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure. Paul, so, you know, we've covered a lot here on this show tonight at the running back spot, touched on the tight ends a little bit, did a mock draft. Man, we've gotten through a lot. So um, what's on your mind uh, based on our our conversations here tonight? Um, I I like a lot of the guys that CK outlined at the tight end position as well as the running back position. Uh, I know you touched on it briefly. 
Uh, I love the idea of doubling down on the running back position. It's funny you mentioned Damian Williams, uh, one running back that they could look at that could almost fill a Damian Williams-like role with a little more athleticism is a guy like Kenyon Drake uh, who could step in and, and be that return guy slash move around running back that comes in in odd situations. Uh, I'm still a huge fan of, of Devon Rockhead Johnson. I mean, he, he's not that guy that's going to be running away from defenders on a regular basis. But if you take him and, and compliment him and, and Ajayi with each other, those are two guys that can form a pretty dynamic backfield. He's a guy that third and one, you, you're going to get it and, and a little bit more. Um, he's not going to go down from the first hit in most situations. Uh, he's going to drag players and be a little quicker than people think and a little more elusive than people think when you watch him on tape. So he's a guy I'd love to see Miami go with a late-round pick on. But there's no running back in this draft, no tight end in this draft, that I'd be over-exuberant about before the third or fourth round. Um, it doesn't matter who they are unless, you know, something unrealistic happens. I'm not a huge Derrick Henry fan. Uh, I know a lot of people are. But there's no one that I'm I'm looking at before the third round here that I'm like, yes, you got to go get him. I'd rather they shore up some other positions. Right. We talked about running backs and tight ends. Obviously, that would exclude Ezekiel Elliott in the first two rounds. Um, I think he's definitely a first two-round talent. I just wouldn't be ecstatic if Miami went after him just because I think there's good enough value later on that Miami should shore up some of the bigger holes that they have going forward. Um in the first two rounds and still get excellent value later on that can contribute right away. Well, and and really doesn't matter because Ezekiel Elliott's not going in the second round anyway. He'll be somewhere in the exactly. first. At 13, um, you know, I, I, you and I and possibly CK would probably be among 5% of Dolphins fans who wouldn't be irate um, if he weren't that pick. But I, I've got to stick to my guns and say that unless that running back is a generational talent, uh, with breakaway speed and the ability to just knock the ball out of the park every time he gets the ball, uh, I'm not taking him at 13. There, there are too many good backs later, and running back tends to be more of a position. If you're not special, well, I, I, I'll use the term generational. If you're not a once in, or twice in 10 years type of player, then I, you know, I'm not interested in taking you that high, even though Zeke's a good player. Wouldn't be irate with him at 13, but uh, not quite – not quite there on, on that. And you brought up an interesting name, Kenyon Drake. Not a lot of mileage on his tires. He was the backup to Derrick Henry there at, at Alabama. And uh, really not a whole heck of a lot of carries in his career. Six foot, 210 pounds, versatile, can do a lot of things. And uh, when you look back at his career at, at Alabama, barely over four years had 250 touches. So comes in with a lot of, um, a lot of touches that he could potentially have. Yeah, and you hit on the exact reason, actually, why, and I just want to, you know, drive this point home for folks that are listening, why I wouldn't be ecstatic if they draft Ezekiel Elliott at 13. Um, if that player is that generational talent that you want to grab in that first round, he's not there at 13. He's going in that top five and, you know, possibly number one overall. Uh, if he's that ridiculous over-the-top all-pro always going to be their talent. He is not there at 13, which is exactly why I'm not slipping my lid that they've got to go after Elliott there if he's on the board. Right. Well said. And and looking at Zeke, I kind of fit that that same mold there where 
it, it comes back to me a guy we didn't discuss is Kenneth Dix, and I really like him out of Louisiana Tech. It's, uh, would you rather have an Alex Collins or a Kenneth Dixon in the third, maybe fourth round, or would you take Zeke at 13? And the answer to me is pretty simple. I'd rather take a different position. And yeah, you're exactly right, where if Zeke ends up falling to 13, when you have so many teams there that could use a running back, you know, we, we went through the list here tonight, really starting with the eighth pick, Philadelphia. They've got Ryan Matthews um, and, and really not a whole heck of a lot else. Darren Sproles is 31. Um, you look at the Giants. They have a 31-year-old okay running back. The Saints have Mark Ingram coming back off that injury. You've got the Bears with Jeremy Langford a running back. They lost Matt Forte. So if all these teams do end up passing on Ezekiel Elliott, I start to have a few more questions about, okay, how did this guy interview, and do, do people around the league really think he's special? Um, so very interesting how the board is going to stack up. I'd rather have a player there at 13, whether it's Kevin Dodd, whether it's Jack Conklin, which are my two preferences, I think these are two players who are kind of difficult to find throughout the rest of the draft, even if they don't fit the biggest need for the Miami Dolphins today. A lot of interesting discussions with the NFL draft. Uh, Paul, before we wrap up, any announcements that you want to make? Anything you want to contribute at all? Um, One thing I just want to throw out there for, for some of our more astute fans that follow every press release on the planet, uh, the Dolphins did put out uh, press release on Friday. Uh, we were mentioned in there. Uh, we'll probably have more in, in the coming weeks for folks. St- stick with us, bear with us on that. Uh, there's going to be some content that we're going to be probably providing as we move forward to the Dolphins' actual website. Uh, just stick with us for a few weeks. We'll let you know as it comes up what what's going to come of it, but we're very excited about that moving forward. That we are. And we'll have more details, like Paul said, in the emerging week. So if it is not on the right side and it is not on the left side, it is on the fin side. 23 days left to the draft. Have a great night. Bye.